Hey, it's Kathy. I'm just hopping in real quick to tell you that the doors are closing to the Abundance Method program today. That's right. May 16th, four o'clock Pacific time, we close the doors to this program. And I'm so excited to watch you change your life. I'm so excited to see what happens when you tap into the energy that is within you and you start to attract so much into your life and there's incredible synchronicity and you start to perceive what was always here in plain sight and that which was hidden becomes revealed. If you want to join us, you can go to kathyheller.com slash join. And remember, those of you who sign up for the Platinum, you get the retreat included. It's going to be an incredible retreat. It's a three-day experience. You can choose between July or October and the July is definitely filling up. So come on in and join us. Again, the doors close at four o'clock Pacific today. You can sign up at kathyheller.com slash join. I cannot wait to spend 12 weeks with you and watch you become a master at manifesting the most gorgeous experiences and opportunities and abundance into your life. Just going through life with some compassion and empathy and love and just assuming positive intent makes the world better. Thanks to TurboTax Live for supporting my podcast. Whether you own an up-and-coming small business or you're invested in crypto for the first time, TurboTax Live has experienced tax experts who can answer your tax questions, walk you through the whole process, or even do your taxes for you from start to finish, no matter your unique situation. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. Hi, guys. It's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to The Kathy Heller Show. So we have an awesome guest for you today. Before we dive into that, I want to tell you two things. One fun thing is we got a cat. We got the cutest little kitten and I'm trying to choose a name for her. It's either going to be waffles, pancakes, sundae, or patches, or milkshake. (laughs) So if you want to vote and see her, I made a reel on my Instagram at kathy.heller and she's so cute. She's a calico Persian and she's so sweet. You can go check that out. The other fun thing I want to tell you is that we're doing a retreat at the Boca Resort, May 25th through 27th. Can you believe that we're finally going to be able to be together? It's been so long. So if you want to come, come. You can reserve your spot. Go to kathyheller.com slash retreat. It's going to be so cool. We're calling it Ready for Millions. And this is the retreat where we're going to come together and we're going to drop in. And really, we're going to manifest all that we desire. We are going to fully feel into all that's there. We're going to allow it. We're going to dream it up. We're going to desire it. We're going to allow it to be a match. And then we're going to step right into it. We're going to talk about how to energetically really receive it and also what are some of the things that we can do strategically to to collapse time and space so that it happens right away. If you want to join us for this retreat, it's going to be so beautiful at the Boca Resort. It's gorgeous. The weather's beautiful. It's right on the water. Uh, it's going to be two and a half days. I'll be providing all of the mental, emotional, intellectual stimulation plus the breakfast and lunch. It's going to be beautiful looking at the ocean. You can go to kathyheller.com slash retreat to hold your spot. 
Okay, well, today's episode is great. I had the pleasure of chatting with the delightful Scott O'Neill. He's an author, a speaker, a former CEO of Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment, and one of the most recognized and dynamic executives in the sports entertainment industry. He's had over 25 years of experience leading NBA, NHL, and NFL teams and leagues, including the Philadelphia 76ers, the New York Knicks, the New Jersey Nets, Philadelphia Eagles, New York Rangers, and the New Jersey Devils. And he wrote a really important book. It's called Be Where Your Feet Are, Seven Principles to Keep You Present, Grounded, and Thriving. It gives you a peek behind the curtain of Scott's career and life. Plus, it provides a framework, anecdotes, and exercises to guide you towards self-discovery. We're going to talk about it more in this episode, but I highly recommend that you get a copy. Scott and the companies that he ran have won numerous awards like Fast Company's Most Innovative Company, Entrepreneur Magazine's Top 50 Cultures, Sports Innovation Lab's Top 25 Most Innovative Professional Teams in the World. Plus, what is most impressive about Scott is just his humility. You're going to hear it. For someone who's accomplished so much, he's so down to earth and so open and humble. It's very striking and he's so easy to love. I think that you guys will really find so many gems in this. I do want to let you know that in the beginning of Scott's interview, he talks about some intense stuff like a friend of his who committed suicide. So if that is a trigger, which it is, it's intense, but if that is something that's really hard for you to listen to, you can just skip the first four or five minutes and you can listen after that. Without further ado, please welcome the phenomenal Scott O'Neill. Scott, thank you for showing up. Thanks for coming on the show. Are you kidding me? This is so humbling to be here with you. I have listened to your podcast. You are quite a treat. And I can't, I can't wait to dig in. I really can't. I, I'm as interested in talking to you on camera as I am off. I'm intrigued and I can't wait to get kicking. Oh my gosh. So you're not only successful, but humble and such a gem. It's very rare that somebody starts the show saying anything like that. So you're awesome. <laughs> And we're going to dive in. So let's talk a little bit about your amazing journey. Like you started in one place, built sort of that tower as big as you can build it. And then you made a left turn and started to sort of open up to an even greater frequency and, and starting to talk about bigger truths and all of that. So we're going to talk about your book, but I want to sort of help everyone understand how that even showed up in your life. How did you go from being the CEO, you know, sitting in that corner suite to, to where you are now? Just sitting here with you. <laughs> you know, it's not a happy story, but I'm happy to share it. Uh, my brothers and I, I have, I have three brothers and a sister. My brothers and I, every year we put on a baseball tournament and we ran out of minor league stadium and we get uniforms and have a draft. It's really fun. That is, is so, so cute. Wow. Yeah. We try not to call it cute, but it is wonderful. <laughs> I know. It's so not cute. It's like epic, uh, but it's epic, like a, adorable epic, and awesome that you would do epic. that together. And um, uh, one of my friends from business school was really not himself. And I found myself in a diner at the wee hours of the morning talking to him to try to uncover what the heck was happening. And I said really naive things to him. And I said, um, choose happiness. Um, which is, it's a wonderful thought to choose happiness. And I, I think to, to many of us, we can decide to wake up in the morning and choose happiness. And I also said, you know what? When I'm down, I try to serve others. I said, that's what gets me out of my well. So why don't you go serve people and go choose happiness? Um, and two weeks later, I got a phone call from a, a dear friend of mine, Jared Stone. And uh, my friend Will had, had killed himself. Mm. And um, Wow. Yeah. 
uh, he had driven to his folks' house, and uh, I don't mean to be graphic, but I'm going to be, um, and got a shotgun and just shot himself in the head. And, um, and I was not equipped. I wasn't equipped to handle that conversation. Uh, I have three daughters, and I know my wife had come up, so I was I broke in tears, and um, I couldn't even say the words. And this is, a, this is a, a dear friend. I mean, this is, my kids call him Uncle Will. He is family. And so I, my wife said, uh, Lisa said, you need to go downstairs and tell the kids before they see someone on, on social media or, you know, and I was just like, I, I you know, I, yeah, I could barely like string two sentences together. And finally I walked downstairs and the kids were like in front of the computer. They're like, they're really silly. They're, they're silly girls. So they were watching like old YouTube videos of themselves that they had posted when they were kids singing and doing ridiculous things. They're all cackling and laughing. And I walk in just like stoically stone faced. And I was like, um, Uncle Will's dead, killed himself. And I turned around and walked upstairs. And so while I lost my uh, father of the year award that day as well, and all my wife could muster was great job, you know, and I wasn't, I couldn't see it. I couldn't get out of my own way. I was blessed enough or cursed enough to be asked to speak at the funeral a week later. I got through it and then fell apart. Like when I say fell apart, I couldn't get out of bed in the morning, couldn't fall asleep at night. I'd be in a meeting at work. I was still going to work. Um, somebody would say something, I kind of like half burst into tears and just walk into my office. I, I was just not in a good way. And, and I began to, to write, to heal, not to write a book, but to heal. And I, uh, have you seen Forrest Gump, the movie Forrest Gump? Most people have seen it. Do you know this? You know, where he runs out of the football stadium and then keeps running and he runs across the country. Um, yeah. well, seeing him, he's just running like seemingly for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I never understood what that was about until I went through this. Um, and then I did, because that's how I was writing. Like he was running from something. He wasn't running to something. He was running away. You know, he was running to escape. He was running to heal. And that's how I was writing. And a lot of it was gibberish. And I just had an iPad and I just, I'm a little keyboard. And my wife, you know, after three weeks of this called a dear friend of ours, Randall Wright, who came up to see us and um, see me. I, I just wasn't aware that this was a whole plan. And uh, he walked in, I was in my little office here and he said, um, so how are you doing? You know, I said, he's from Texas. He's got that great Texas draw. He's just a wonderful guy. Like he's going to, this would be insulting him, but grandfatherly, like just a, a warm, loving soul. And uh, I said, I'm, I'm doing fine. He's like, are you? And I said, well, you know, he said, Lisa says you're, you're writing. And I said, yeah, you know, it's just my own. It's kind of like a journal. He said, let me see some of it. I was like, ah, you know, it's like, I found myself just writing about times I failed in my life and what I learned. And he said, well, listen, let me see. Something. So I just gave it to him and he started reading. He's like, Oh, wow. He's like, this is powerful stuff. And I was like, yeah, um, thank you. And he said, what if you publish this? And I was like, yeah, that's a no. I, I, that's, I don't aspire to do that or be that. He said, Scott, how many CEO books have you read? I'm like, I don't know, hundred. And he asked me what the last book I read was, which was, I think the ride of a lifetime by Bob Iger at the time. And I said, I just love that book. And he said, well, why'd you love that book over others you read? And I said, because it was human. Because he talked about having a nervous breakdown. And he talked about like the anxiety of wanting a big job. And he talked about stuff that like, that's what we deal with. And it's like, everything looks like this perfect bubble from the outside. And, and look, I'm happy with my bubble. Like I, I know I've had big time fun jobs. Like I, I went to Harvard Business School. I like had this amazing wife and these three healthy daughters. Like I get that from the outside. And then you take a peek behind the curtain and it's rough, you know, and I'm not sad about it. Like I'm okay. Like I'm, 
I'm authentically okay with who I am and what I've experienced. I've run a company to the ground. I've been fired from a high-profile job. My best friend took his own life. I've had issues at home. We've had miscarriages together. Like, I've had a whole host of things go, go south, and I'm not alone. Everybody does. And so his point to me, which, which I took to heart, was like, you know, everybody has a, a why. Like, why, Kathy, why you do what you do? I'm sure you have a wonderful one. I'm interested in it. I'll ask you right after I'm done here. But mine is, I want to help develop the next generation of leaders. That's what I'm passionate about. And I want to leave the world better than I found it. So he like turned that on me and he's like, you say you want to help develop people. It's like, what if you shared some of this stuff? What if it was okay to be imperfect? What if it's okay to fail? What if it's okay, you know, to have some mental health challenges? And it seemed like this book, you know, came out during COVID and then, you know, the whole world fell apart and, and it seemed to hit a strike a chord with a, with a lot of people. And, and it's been humbling, uh, to be honest. Like, I, I've heard from perfect strangers that this, you know, one little segment of this made an impact in their life or changed their relationship with their partner or, you know, they changed the way they were doing business. So they created a common language at home or all like the simple things um, that were some woven into these stories. And I, I will tell you, it's like, it, to that person, it's the most important thing I've ever done. You know, I'd say like my children are and raising my children, but to that person, that sentence, that exercise, that story, and that's, it's been a humbling journey. So tell, tell me about your why. What the heck are you, why are you doing what you're doing? Okay. First of all, I am going to answer your question, but it is just, it's so gorgeous. The amount of humility, the amount of vulnerability, it is striking. It is rare. It is powerful. And it is immediately connecting everyone who's listening to you instantly. And I'm just sort of, you know, bowled over by it. And I'm like, just drinking it in, like catching my breath. Like what a, what an offering that you just allowed to show up here today. I appreciate that. I, you know, I, I was talking to a group yesterday, a corporate group in New York and I had them do this exercise, which I absolutely love. I'm, we're coming back to your why you're not getting away from it, just so you know. And I said, <laughs> I said, hey, take out your phones. And the title of my book is Be Where Your Feet Are, which essentially means put your phone down, get your head up. Like, that's the title of the book. So they're anticipating me hitting them over the head with, like, put your freaking phone down, which I do. Okay? But I said, hey, let's start. Just put your phone, pick your phone up. They all pick their phone up, you know. I was like, okay, go to text, go to text. So text your mom. And I want you to text your mom this. And I'd love the listeners to text your mom right now. Just, just hit pause and text your mom. And I'd love you to text her this. Mom, I really love you. I appreciate everything you've ever done for me. And I know sometimes I don't always say it, but just know you're always in my heart. I love you, Scott. And I say, you don't have to say Scott if you don't want to, but you can. And then I go on to tell the story about like, because I, when I do it, I, I text my mom and my mother. And my mom sent me back a note and said, hon, are you okay? And I was like, oh, crap. And then one of the guys raised his hand. I'm coming full circle to your point. Guy raised his hand. He said, hey, this is really tough for men. And I said, this has nothing to do with being a man or a woman, nothing. Like gratitude is the fuel. Like, you know, it is the fuel of our lives and we have it in our head. Like think your mom, you know? And I said, some of them, you know, there are all some older guys there and some women, but I say, Hey, if your mom's not around, just a woman has to have an impact in your life. And I'll tell you like, you know, the practice of waking up in the morning. And then I go through this exercise where when you wake up in the morning, I say, how many of you have your phone by your nightstand? And they're like, you know, half the people are like, stop doing it right now. Just stop. Put a key in the bathroom. No phones in the bathroom. I'm in the bedroom. No phones in the kitchen. Like, just have some rules, you know? And then I said, look, how many of you pick up your phone before you brush your teeth? Almost everybody. Can you imagine? 
And I said, okay, great news. When you pick up your phone every day for the next 30 days, just send a note of gratitude or love or appreciation to somebody in your life. So I invite you, everyone to do that. Like, it's the simplest thing. And you know who it helps more? The sender. That's the irony. It's like it, we go through life so intentional then about thinking through like, oh, I need to send a note. Okay, subconsciously. And the unit, whether you believe in a higher power, which I do, or you believe in karma or you believe in doing good, whatever you believe in is wonderful. The world will send you people that need to hear from you. And, I, and, I, and so, I, so that's my little invitation. So let's get back to you. Oh my you. God, that is so awesome. What a, that is so cool. I really want everyone to do that. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about the gratitude and, and that which we give away is like the only thing that we ever receive. You know, we yes. you mentioned your children already like six times because you've given the, the people you give to are the ones that you feel you love most because you've given so much love. So when we give, that's what we receive. And so we, we forget that we're always responding to things before we do it. And it's like, no, the more you do, you show up, right? You then get back. So it's fascinating, actually, the way that the universe and God organizes our lives, because you asked me that question and then you shared what you shared and then you shared this other piece and you shared both of the things that make up my why, which is my mom, when I was growing up, was dealing with her own sadness. My parents had a very unhealthy and unhappy marriage. They wound up breaking up. And when they broke up, my mom tried to take her own life. I'm so, so sorry. as a child, I grew up with sort of, you know, what's going to happen? Am I going to have, I learned this term called 5150 and Baker acting somebody when I was a kid, because I had to know what to say to an ambulance person. And we just, we struggled with that for years, for years, for years. And my dad was kind of doing his own thing. And now it's, it's interesting, Scott, actually yesterday, yesterday, February 10th, I had breakfast with my mom and dad and my sister, the four of us, that's just our immediate family for the first time in 30 plus something years because it was grandparents day at my daughter's school. And then we just decided let's have breakfast. Mm -hmm. And now my dad has Parkinson's and whatever. But the point is my dad had Parkinson's. We have way too much in common. So much in common, but it's interesting because a hundred percent the why is having grown up, seeing somebody in the throes of why am I here? What's the point? it definitely inspired me to want to not only seek for answers to why are we here, but to hopefully help serve other people a message that they're needed, that they get to make up this movie of their life and that they can impact other people and they can contribute something that only they can. And so that's, that's really, we're, we're on a similar page. I love, love, love. I had this uh, friend and he's really cynical. I, I don't really have too much like judgment or cynicism. It's just not how I go through the world. I, I always say that we're, we're the sum total of our experiences, who we surround ourselves with and, and what we aspire to be. And whoever you give more weight to at one point, that's where, you know, you end up in place. But he, he seems to be very cynical. And I was walking through some of my jujitsu of life and, and he said, um, no, it's, it's you being, being self-centered. And I was like, huh, okay, like, I, I don't feel that. That's not how I feel. So help me understand. He's like, no, it's all about utility. And, and his view on people is so different than mine. His view on people is that, well, you're doing that. I'd say, he would say this to you. You're doing that for you. And I was like, no, like, I, I have love in my heart. Like, I, 
I truly want to help. And he said something like, because that makes you feel good. I was like, okay, I don't want to have a conversation with you. And so it all just got to that, for me, like that triangle. It's like, am I choosing to spend time with him anymore? I'm not. And so like, I love your energy. You have such amazing energy. I love your why. I love your will. And uh, I, was there one part of that lunch that you will remember forever or one thing that was said that you feel special about that you can share? Mm, one thing that was said, I think it was just, uh, my sister did say it out loud. Wow, this is the first time in however long. And she's like, it's beautiful. And uh, it was just the amount of compassion that both of my parents now have for each other. And all that remains in the energy field that we're, we were all sitting in was just love, right? They had like surrendered all of the ego, you know? So just to w- be in that is beautiful to see that. I absolutely love everything about this conversation. But before we keep going, we're sure to thank our sponsors. People think unusual circumstances mean complicated taxes. But for TurboTax Live experts, that's what makes things interesting because an interesting life can mean even greater refund. Luckily, TurboTax Live can match you with the right expert who has experience in your unique situation and can answer all your tax questions right from your phone or computer. Plus, they can even take care of the whole filing process for you. So whether you launch your own startup or you're working multiple jobs, you have different side hustles, and maybe you're juggling multiple incomes, an experienced TurboTax Live expert can help you during the entire filing process or do your taxes for you from start to finish to get you to the tax deductions that you deserve. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. You do your thing. They've got your taxes. Into it. TurboTax Live. So this book that you wrote, it, it's so good. And I want to like dive into it. First of all, the title itself is phenomenal, right? Like we just heard the backstory. I could think of a, a zillion possibilities for what you would have then titled this book, but you titled it, Be Where Your Feet Are. Seven principles to keep you present, grounded, and thriving. So let's start there. What does it mean to be where you are? And why is it that being present is sort of the umbrella to all of these things? Yeah, it's a a rich question and has a lot of depth. And and, and hopefully I can give you at least a nugget or so. You know, I, I spend a lot of time with people. And, you know, I would walk into a conference room and everybody would be on their phones. And I walk through the hallways and people be on their phones and I come home and my kids are on their phone. <laughs> and um, I wasn't comfortable with that. And so I set up some rules and it's easy when you're the boss, right? So I just said, hey, you know, no phones in the conference room. And you, know, you can imagine, I work with a lot of young folks and they're like, what am I supposed to use a pen? <laughs> you know, like, should I chisel this? You know, you know, and I, you know, it gave me all the sarcasm for, and I said, you know, yeah, you, you need to use a pen and like, I'm so much more interested in you turning to your right or turning to your left and saying, hey, how was your weekend? Hey, I heard you went to a concert. What was it like? Oh, your kids scored a goal. Hey, you went to Mexico. What? I actually don't care. I don't care if it's work or home, but like, we need to like recreate some interaction. I just a story when I, I'm working for these sports teams. Um, I'm, I'm very competitive. You can hear my voice. I don't know if you can hear my voice. It's, um, it's a little hoarse. I'm coaching high school girls basketball now, so I've been screaming for <laughs> in a row. And uh, so uh, but I'm very competitive uh, and working in pro sports. You go through some highs and lows. And I was um, with the New York Knicks at the time. We were losing a lot of games in a row. And I came home and I was mad. I mean, I was, and I get home at 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. I was just steaming mad. I my boot off the court. I got home. My wife, she's like, I'm stomping around the kitchen like a child, like a petzel child. She comes home. She's a tough, tough lady. And she's like, what? what's going on here? I'm like, what do you mean? Nah, like defensive mechanism right away, right? Because... I like to debate and I'm, you know, boom, I'm in that mode. So I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, 
what's going on with you right now? You're stomping around the kitchen, like, what's up? And I said, did you see the game? So yeah, I saw the game. I was like, did you hear the booze? She's like, Scott, I didn't even need a TV on to hear the booze. I can hear them from here. And I was like, well, that's why I'm in. She's like, how good are your teams this year? <laughs> I was like, you know, nah, not very good. It's like, what are you going to lose 100 games, you think, between the three teams? I was like, yeah, that's about right. She's like, so one third of every day you're here, you're going to be pissed off? Mm. And I was like, no, I mean, well, uh, well, she's like, this ain't going to work for me. This ain't going to work for the kids. Like, you need to rethink what you're doing here. You need to think like about the energy you're bringing into the space. <laughs> it's really good counsel. And I, I never, everyone reacts differently. I always react emotionally away, you know, right away. I, I don't do a great job in that first debate action. And then I sleep on it or take some time and then come back and say, you know what? <laughs> Interesting. You might've pointed out, but I was talking to a friend of mine the next day and, and he's like, Oh, you need a worry tree. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. He's like, yeah, man. He's like, I got the same thing. Like I come home wired. He's a product. He got, it's like, he comes home wired at night. Like, I just walked up this tree, put my hand right on the tree. My worries go up in that tree. I was like, my man, I do not have a tree like that on my property. <laughs> I need a tree. He's like, it's not about the tree. It's about how are you going to compartmentalize so that you can be present. So when you're home, you know, you can be connected and be a dad and be a, and be a husband and, and be a friend and be a neighbor and be part of the community. When you're at work, you'd be like an engaged person at work. So I had so many like lessons in my life like that. And feel very strongly that that we will be better as a society, as a family, as a company, as friends, when we put our phones down and keep our head up. I mean, think about the last time you went to lunch with your with your girlfriends, okay? You go to lunch, you're late, or I'm always late. I go, I show up, they're on their phones. I was like, yo, guys, what's up? We haven't seen each other in a year. Like, what are we actually looking for? Like, do you think it's a defense mechanism? Is it like a stall tactic? Is it because we're socially awkward? Is it because like the isolation has been our kryptonite and we don't really know what to say, when to say it? We just need to do a better job. It's like you go out for dinner, leave your phone in the car, keep it in your back pocket unless you're taking a photo. Like, let's be better. Let's do, do this differently. Let's mm. see if we can like be where our feet are. Like it completely changes. It's not about giving 10% of your time to, to you and 10% of time to you and 10% of time to you. It's like, when I'm with you, I'm giving you 100%. It's a different mentality. I think it makes life better. Yeah, a hundred percent. So true. I had Marianne Williamson here and she said, everyone's always asking this question about like, what am I supposed to do? What's the next thing I need to do? And she's like, we need to understand the other question, which is who am I supposed to be? And we don't pause enough. She said, we don't get off our phones enough to actually stop. And she was telling a, a story of how she went to, uh, a friend of hers in South Florida for the Sabbath, they're Orthodox Jews. And she's like, and I thought they have teenagers. How are they going to like handle this without their phones? And she's like, Kathy, literally like there were no phones. There was like, oh, let's play Scrabble. Hey dad, tell me what happened when you remember you told me the thing about grandpa and da, 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 da. And she's like, and then there's like stories being told because there's no phones. She's like, I was mesmerized by the pause. Right. Yeah. And this is, unusual. Just like I said, when you came on and you were like, you said something so kind and generous to me, what she just said, that's so unusual. Like no one is saying these and, and it echoes what you're saying. So, so let's get into some of these principles. You say in your book, there are seven principles to be in this present grounded place to help you thrive. Let's just talk about some of those principles so we can apply them to our life. 
Fantastic. Um, API is probably the one I always feel the most connected to. So API stands for assume positive intent. Assume positive intent is like giving people the benefit of the doubt. So it's like if you have a teenage daughter and a mom in the same room, it's the opposite of that. You know, it's like there's no baggage. You always think about those like mountain guides with all like stacked luggage. They have it hard. If you get a, a note from your boss and says, I need to see you at 12 and you immediately your blood pressure goes up and you're starting to stress and you're wondering, is he going to be mad? Am I losing my job? Am I in trouble? You're not assuming positive intent. If you, you know, you go see a friend who you haven't seen in a while and you're going there and you're already mad on your drive to go see her, yeah. you're not assuming positive intent. You know, if, if your phone rings and you're like, are you kidding me? Or, you know, in our case, you know, our daughter's, if there were a place to get them some good driving lessons, it would be wonderful. Did you know, just as a quick aside, that if you are bad enough drivers over a period of time, the insurance company, they won't charge you more money. They'll just walk away. They do. It's awesome. Yeah, that happened to us. Oh, yeah. You have enough accidents, and they just walk away. And I was like, hey, I'm sure I could pay more money. Like, no, no, no. We don't want to work with you ever again. So anywho, okay? So if my daughter- Holy hell. Right. So oh, my not- God. That is all kinds of levels of scary. Oh, you have no idea. It's like I dropped gummy bears and got into an accident. I'm like, I'm like losing my mind. Okay. A bee flew in the car. I drove into a tree. Like everything that could possibly happen to these kids. And so uh, that's where like, I don't assume positive 10. I hear like, I got a speeding ticket or I got into another accident. Like I can just say like, I'm sorry, honey. You know, I'm already assuming it's their fault. One of them. It's not the other guy or the other woman. I promise you. And so that's like, that's where. And instead of me asking questions and being compassionate and being kind, I don't do a great job. That's like great stories in the book of a dear friend of mine, Chester Elton, who'd be a, a lovely guest on your podcast. He's wonderful. He's written like 12 best-selling books. Guy's amazing. The Apostle of Appreciation. It's a great handle. He was a young boy and he was in Vancouver. He's walking with his dad. And he's walking past kind of like a CD park. And we've all walked through CD parks. No judgment here. Um, and this woman who, who clearly had all her possessions on her um, was carrying them in her bag and walked right by him and tripped and her bag fell and all the stuff fell out and and my friend like a young boy just quickly like darted across the street and not not his dad his dad's name's doll just kind of kneeled down and helped her pick everything up and whispered something in her ears she kind of chuckled and then uh she was on her way and he went over to to my friend chester who's now an adult and said and chester said dad you, you can't talk to those people like they're dirty you know he's like it's like chess everybody's having a bad day. And what he's saying there is like, assume positive intent, find some love. Another great example is um, I, when I was with the Philadelphia 76ers, we built a training complex in Camden, New Jersey. And Camden is a notoriously tough town, high crime rate, you know, average household income, $13,000, graduation rate in the fifties, open air drug markets, the whole thing. And he took over as police chief and uh, he wanted to change the way that the police were viewed and the citizens were viewed. And so he started dropping people off and just saying to these officers, like, see in 12 hours, like, if you want to eat something, you better get to know somebody who's a good cook. You want to go to the bathroom, you better get to know somebody. Effectively, like, let's be part of this community. And he tells the story of us, tragically, this, this uh, young teenage girl was shot in the drive-by and, and tragically killed. And, and the sergeants came in, it's middle of the night, and they're banging the table. Hey, we got to lock down the city again. But he's like, no, nah, that's not what we're doing. And his idea was to rent two Mr. Softy machines and put them on the, the ends of the streets and have the cops in there serving free ice cream. Cause he's like, this is about love and understanding. It's like, they're not all bad guys. There are a couple bad guys. We got to go find them. 
And the best way to find them is to be part of this community. And then they'll tell us who the real bad guys are. And I just love that notion of just assuming positive intent. Um, if you came to my house, you see it, it's, it's over all our, our doors when you walk out. And if you went to my daughter's rooms, they're all on a rock carved in there. That's the one thing I want them to walk through life with. And I want to walk, leave my house every day. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not perfect at this. So um, I'm a work in progress. So that's one I just, if you remember one thing from this podcast, it's assume positive intent. Like walk in, just what we say, and we're palms up, meaning I'm not crossing my arms. I don't know everything. I'll give a good, good story from work too. Last one, I swear. I worked with this guy, Adam Davis, wonderful guy. We worked at Madison Square Garden together and then later at, at HBSE. And he was a chief commercial officer, big time deal maker, amazing deal maker, wonderful soul, wonderful guy. And he seen me at my best and he seen me at my worst. And so he comes to my office one day and he goes, Scott, just like, I need you palms up and I need you API. So what he was saying to me was, okay, Mr. CEO, okay, I don't need the arms crossed, wagging the finger, tell me what was wrong and what went wrong. I need your experience. I need your creativity. I need your love. I need your open mind. Help me solve this. We'll, we'll post more later and figure it out what happened, but I need this. And what I love about that story is one is he's strong enough and clearly I'm open enough to hear it, but he's strong enough to deliver that message, which is real, but that we have a common language, you know, and you'd hear that in my home too. If one of the girls are going off the rails, you'll hear somebody say, Hey, API, I spilled the milk. Like everyone goes crazy. API. I didn't mean to like dump the milk. I didn't mean to get a mark on your sweater. I didn't mean to not charge your computer, whatever that is. Like just going through life with some compassion and empathy and love and just assuming positive intent makes the world better. Yeah. It reminds me of um, Adam Grant. We were talking about people who kind of can predict things. And he said, you know, do you think that the best predictors in the world, whether they're predicting the stock market, or they're predicting climate change, do you think that they ever change their answer? And he said, the answer is they change it often. And he said, because in the expert's mind, there's only one answer. In the beginner's mind, there's infinite answers. And the idea being like what you're saying, you know, if you walk in with beginner's mind, if you walk in with I'm just going to be curious here. I'm just open to whatever really is going on without assuming this was their motive. This is it. It's like, maybe we can see different things. Maybe we can experience different things. And Brian Grazer said that to me that, you know, how he's made any movie or any project is from just like having really curious conversations where he walks in and he's just like, what does this person have to tell me? And that story about your friend chess and, and, who knows who this person is who dropped all those the possessions and and what's going on who right. who the cops are going to talk to and what they're going to find out like if we allow it to be like i don't know and i'm curious and i'm open right oh my god we can probably find so many jewels that we are never going to find when we know right because we are an expert we already know we decided this is right, how I it is it. like yeah this cross arms in front like i know i'm closed right do you have, when I said assume positive intent, was there anyone in your life that you always assume positive intent with? And is there anybody in your life, don't say the person that you don't, because they'll be listening. Was there anybody <laughs> that came to your mind? Because every time I say it, people pop into my head. Like sometimes I just do a better job. You know, yeah. when you talk about unlocking the power of relationships, you know, gratitude is one way, assuming positive intent is another. So anything, anyone pop in your head that you are really good at that with? 
Yeah. I mean, now that you asked me that it's interesting because, and my husband is such a great guy and sweet person. And yet he's the only person I'll be like, Oh my God, this shows you see, he didn't consider this and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I'm curious if the people listening, if you do that with your spouse, you know, and it's like, this is the person who loves you. This is the person who's seen me in my most, you know, ugly, awful, and he's still there, you know? So, um, that just is an interesting reflection that came to mind when you asked me. And then, um, and then funny enough, like with my sister, I, no matter what she does, like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, oh, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, and it, it just goes to show that we've, we've sort of wired ourselves a certain way. We could do that with everybody. Yeah, no, it's so true. And I, I think like this, the API was hard with me. Sometimes I get side with my wife and I don't assume positive intent. And then a perfect stranger will come up and I'll just assume everything's perfect. Exactly. What, what the heck are we doing? You know, but you're right. You're right. That totally. So to... what else? There's so much in this book. What's another one of those okay. seven principles that you um, love? What's most important? I love WMI. So um, I am a, are you a people pleaser? Yeah. yeah I am. In recovery. Yeah. I know, but it's so wonderful to be a people pleaser, but like any quality you have, that's positive. It's also, it's your crutch, you know, it's your Achilles heel. It's, you know, so, so for me, I, I definitely am a people pleaser. And what happens when you're a people pleaser is you try to say yes to everything and, and do everything. And um, I had this executive coach, his name is Spencer Holt. He's amazing. And he said um, something like, how are you at prioritizing? How are you at saying no? It's going to this whole thing. I'm like, oh, here we go again. You know, I just like literally... I'm like rolling my eyes, but I don't have the gift to not actually roll my eyes. Like, you know, you're like, well, I rolled my eyes. You actually don't. I'm actually rolling my eyes and saying, I'm rolling my eyes. Like, I can't, I don't have the gift to like not show that. And he's like, what, what, what are you doing here? And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know. I just want to, I, I have real things I want to talk to you about. Like, this doesn't matter to me. Like what essentially I was saying that I try to say it nicer, but I didn't. Okay. And he's a professional. Anyway, so. He says, hey, high performers spend 65% of their time or more on the three things that matter most at work. How are you doing? And I was like, great. You know? <laughs> so he's like, hey, um, do me a favor. Just as we're wrapping up here, this is like you know, 30 minutes later. As we're wrapping up, uh, just have your assistant audit your calendars. Give her the three things. Just have her audit it. You know? And it should be the results. You know? I was like, oh, great. You know? So I come back 23%. I'm like, slow clap for me okay and i can still have some high performance i am like driven i work hard and he used that of course as a weapon against me no i'm just kidding he used that as an opportunity for me to grow and it it helped me you know find the magic word of no and uh, a good friend of mine said once like scott you talk about you know assume positive intent you talk about loving people you talk about helping people but how does that work when you have to say no and i was like look once you understand what's most important in life like at work, it's easy. There are three things. Like I'm sure in your life, there are three things. Like if you do these three things, you win. If you don't, you lose. I mean, I have them. Then there are three relationships. I would say like my wife is, if my wife, my relationship, my wife is off the rails, it's, you know, it's marriage. Like sometimes it's not perfect. If that's off the rails, things go badly for me. It doesn't work. Um, the other two usually fluctuate depending on need or what I'm, you know, what I need or what they need or whatever. But, but I have three relationships and then it's like three personal things. Mine's like do something for the mind, something for the body, something for the soul every day. I do those three things. I take care of my three relationships in my work. I take care of the three things that are most important. I find like balance and productivity in my life. Um, So for me, I'd say that's one that I think is just a critical tactical change 
people have to make. And that starts with actually writing them down. Here are the three things that at work that make me very successful if they're good. Here are the three relationships I care about. And here are the three things I'm going to take care of myself personally on. So, that. so that, that to me is, it's critical, critical, critical. I love that. And since you have that part of your life, that's simultaneous, you know, it's like, while you're so opening up now, all of these conversations about the quality of our life, the quality of relationships, you also have a track record for continuously having success and being able to run organizations and put, pulling people together and putting the right people in the right places. And so I, I do want to ask you what your perspective is on what those three most important things are to be successful in your work. If your work, especially yeah. is your life purpose and something that actually lights you up and makes money and actually does good in the world. Like, what do you think are those three things? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to answer it a couple different ways because that's, that's a, a multi-layered question. So what I think makes people successful at work, I just want to make sure that I, I don't want to be too esoteric, but success for me is very different now than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Okay. Right. I remember being married on my honeymoon, writing down like hundred things I want to accomplish. My wife and I went through this exercise. It's the list is embarrassing. Like it's so painful. It's material. It's like, it's, you know, she saved it. I literally want to burn it. You know, I want no one to ever see this list. Whereas, you know, now my view of, of success is very different. I'll, I'll center this on, on work, of course, here for this particular question. So there are three characteristics that I think successful people have that I have seen. They work unreasonably hard. They're intellectually curious and they're extraordinary teammates. If you do those three things, mm. your likelihood for success jumps through the moon. And nobody wants to be told to work unreasonably hard, but I, I have never seen a successful person not work unreasonably hard. I haven't seen it. I hope I do. But what happens is, is if you're that successful, you don't have to work hard, everybody will go do it. And then you'll have to work hard to get the edge. I mean, it's just basic economics. And then um, being intellectually curious, like the whole world's changing. I, I worked for this unbelievable guy, David Stern, who's the former commissioner of the NBA. God rest his soul, he's passed away. And he, he was not only the meanest man I've ever met before, um, but also the most He wonderful. seems so sweet. I've gone no. to the all-star breakfast and he comes up and he's got this near Yeah, yeah no. He seems so sweet. Sweet and charming are two different things. Um, <laughs> but he was the toughest guy. I mean, he said things to me I had to look up. Like he, was, he was rough. Um, and, and by the way, if anything ever went wrong or south, nobody better to take. He helped me on things that nobody will ever know. And he was the mm -hmm. first one to offer. And he was a wonderful, wonderful soul, but very, 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 very tough. But what I loved about him, by the way, he was so tough. We'd get on his plane, everybody would run for the back. And I was a young guy, like, I just sat right against, I crossed him because I'm like, this David Stern, he's like, this, literally invented the business, the smartest man in the world, you know? And I was like, you know, a kid, I was like, I was okay, he'd scream at me, as long as I got to learn, you know? Anyway, so, um, but but he would get on, he was an old school guy, would get on the plane, and he'd have eight, nine inches of articles ripped out, newspaper and magazine. And not just sports, not just business, but life sciences, geopolitical, like, I remember being on this kind of funny story. I was on this one trip and he's like, you know, you think you're so smart, whatever. And I was like, no, nah, I don't think I'm so smart. I just want to, you know? <laughs> nope. He's like, no, you think you do. He's like pointing your chest. It's like, like intimidating guy. And I was like, no, nah, honestly, I don't. He's like, you don't even know what Wi-Fi is. That's Wi-Fi. But it was so early. He knew about Wi-Fi so earlier because nobody ever said it. I mean, think about that. Like it was wild. Like, 
He was so researched on AIDS that when Magic Johnson contracted the virus, he actually used it as a platform to put him in the All-Star game to change the worldwide conversation on AIDS. Amazing. And like, you don't do that unless you've talked to the best doctors in the world, unless you've read. It's just like we had an office in China in the 80s. Other leagues, the other three leagues, got there in the 2000s. Like, he just was just different. And he was different because... He was really intellectually curious. And then being extraordinary teammates, it's, it's actually one of, the, one of the principles. We talk about purple water buffalo, which I can tell you a story about how it became that. But I, I came into the sports business as a, as a kid. I was 22 years old. I was a marketing assistant, you know, taking dictation, picking up dry cleaning and getting lunch and all that crap work. And the two guys that sat next to me in my cubes, one guy, Brett Yormark, is running Jay-Z's agency now, uh, Rock Nation. And before that, he built the Barclays Center and the Brooklyn Nets and moved into Brooklyn. And my other friend, Howie Newchow, sitting on my right, he's running CAA, the biggest talent agency in the world. And you're like, so I, I only tell you that story because like, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I was, I'm Howie's the godfather's kids. Like, so my, I only said because, and I'm a good teammate. Like I am friends with them. They're my good friends, you know? And so did they have to be? Could we have been climbing all over each other? Sure. Could we have like been treating each other like step ladders and trying to step on us or squashing us to the boss or telling John Spolster was our boss, just killing each other. No, but we're like, hey, let's do this together. This will be so much fun. And you wake up and you look around and all these people are now running big things. And we all have to work together. And so, I don't know. I just think that, especially young people, when they come into the business, you know, I always tell them when we sit down, I say, you know, look around. There are a hundred people your age that work here, a hundred. In 20 years, 50 of them will be running big businesses. If you're just friends with them, if you're literally just a wonderful teammate. Yeah. If you look to help them and share, and if something's working, you share it, you share credit, you share praise. And like your whole world changes when you grow up. And I said, I know you can't see that now, but I promise you, like, once you do that, once you find that zone and that becomes the essence of who you are, people know, like we know what's authentic. It's interesting. So my husband used to be a VP of business and legal at Fox sports. And so for 15 years, he would say, do you want to go to the all-star breakfast? Do you want to do this? I'm like, no, you go, you know? So finally one time I'm like, all right, I want to go. So we go and Scott, I felt like I was in church. I couldn't stop crying. Every person who spoke magic, Kareem, every person who spoke, they didn't even have to say it because it's in their essence, but what they did say, right about the Waltons, about John Wooden, anything that came up was about being in a team. And I was so bowled over. I was like, oh, this is what's happening. This is what's happening on the court. This is the electricity that we're watching. It's people setting their ego aside, being able to step in to their full potential and at the same time, work together towards a common goal. I've never seen such humility and I, I didn't expect to see it, right? I had yeah. already talked about API. I had made up my mind about who these yeah. people are in it for. And it was astonishing. I was like, oh, okay. I have a whole new respect for sports. So coming off of that conversation, I think that when I speak to a lot of people, similar to how, how you said it could have gone down, I think people, are, they believe that there's so much scarcity in the world That if I don't take mine and if I don't try to get mine, like I'm going to lose. Like there's a lack of understanding that actually if we are a collaborative force, 
there's so much more abundance. And so maybe you can, maybe you can talk about that a little bit because. I love that. I love yeah. the word you use. I love the word scarcity because I, I don't believe there's scarcity in the world. I believe there's abundance. And I believe there's yeah. abundance of opportunity. And I believe there's abundance of jobs and abundance of praise. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think those that have that mindset, it's very hard to shift people's mindset. You know, and again, I, I talked about, it's like, you know, what you experienced, you know, I'm a, I'm a product of food stamps as a kid. So like, oh I didn't have, a, yeah. So and it's a really fun journey, food stamps to like country club to losing it all. Like, so as a kid, <laughs> it kind of like, cool. I like, had every part of the role. Yeah. No, but like, it's wonderful. Like I, you know, I, my next door neighbor growing up was, a, you know, a semi truck driver. And, and then I'm at a country club with the doctor's kids. And then we lost it all. And like, so I felt just as ease in a boardroom as I did with the, with the janitor. And like, it's funny, I've had some like really like funny comments. I remember I was with this, you know, famous CEO, Jamie Diamond from Chase. And I did a big deal in Madison Square Garden. I'm walking with him. And as I'm walking, like, and I'm, I'm not consciously doing this, but you know, my coworkers are the janitors, the security guards, the ticket takers, the ushers. I mean, they're my coworkers. So I'm like, Hey Fred, what's going on? Hey Joe, good to see you again. And he's like, do you know everyone that works here? I'm like, uh, I mean, yes. <laughs> it was kind of like a funny, and again, it was just one of those like interesting moments in life. You're like, okay, that's, I, I took that as like a tremendous compliment. Like I, I'm connected to the group. Um, but it was just a really like, you know, one of those moments times like, right. But that's where I'm at ease, you know? So it's, it's a, it's kind of funny, but yeah. So I grew up and when you, when you grow up with nothing, you don't know that you have nothing. I guess you would now with social media and all, but like you, you only know what you have. You know, I thought everybody had mac and cheese every night. Like I, how would I know, you know, pancakes for breakfast again, pancakes for dinner again, pancakes for lunch. I mean, like you don't know. And then you have something, a pool in your backyard and you're like, wow, this is awesome. And then losing it all. But anyway, so I understand the perspective of scarcity. I just, I think it's about the worst perspective you can have. I think what's hard is, you know, it used to be like, we live for, you live for the moment. It's like, we live for the instant now. It's like, it's come even closer. And I just want you to just put life back on the horizon a little bit and, and understand that, you know, everything's not going to be given to you today. I, I, I love this rising generation. It's one of my favorite generations to work with. Um, but, but they expect full transparency, full. Okay. They expect full access, full access. Okay. They want to be promoted in week one. They want the corner office by week two, mm -hmm. you know, now for that, they're really smart, the smartest generation we've ever had. They're most connected generation we've ever had. They're, they're very hardworking. They're very smart. Like, you know, you get some trade-offs and you know what you're trying to do as a, you know, as a leader or manager or CEO or whoever, you know, you're trying to like galvanize this force because once you galvanize them and get them connected and understanding that with the connectivity of life and how it all comes together, it's like, I'm 51 years old. Like for me doing a deal, it's a lot easier than when I was 22 because I know everybody I'm calling my friends, you know? And if I don't know the person, I'm like, Hey, can you call so-and-so? Hey, can you connect me with so-and-so? Um, and if you just put your world out on the horizon for 20 years and say, okay, how do I want to look in 20 years? Yeah. Life gets a lot easier. Um, and your path becomes clear. Uh, and may maybe it's, it's, you know, I'm living in la la land, but for me, that's what I've seen of people being really successful over time. And you said over time, you're like, came from this place, built it, lost it. And that is really such a mirror of so many of the most successful people. And then they build it again. Right. And so yeah. 
I've had so many of these conversations, you know, Howard Schultz has been here and Barbara Corcoran and Damon, like all these people who are literally making billions of dollars and it doesn't phase them at all. That journey of like Howard Schultz came from public housing. He's like, yeah, started with nothing, built this, this thing died, then you build this again. So talk about that's the complete opposite of scarcity when you're literally like, yeah, I can burn to the ground. You build it again. How can you help people understand what that phenomenon is all about. How does a person right. see it all go away and then go, it's okay, I'll build it again. From yeah. what? Such a rich question. I um, Look, I have been broke as a kid and I've been broke as an adult, okay? It's much better to be broke as a kid, okay? When you're broke as an adult, it's, it's hard, okay? I will say that, just a quick story. So I kid out of business school, went back to the Philadelphia Eagles, started this company, Hoops TV, and it crashed and burned. We raised $15 million, poof, it was gone, Okay. And it was a cool company. We were ahead of our time. This, the team, they're doing incredible things now. Like, chalk it up to a bad president. Help me. Whatever the case may be. Bad timing, bad president, who knows? But the thing collapsed. Now, I don't have a nickel, okay? My wife had retired, got her first kid, had a, had a house. So I'm getting four closure notices on the house. Like, it's like, it's out of this world. Like, I'm signing up for a merit at some crap service that destroys your credit for seven years. But I don't know what I'm doing, you know? And by the way, this is a Harvard Business School graduate, Mr. Smarty Pants, okay? So it happens. Am I richer, better, stronger for? Of course I am. Like, do I make better decisions? Yes, I do. Am I much more better educated? Yes, I am. Have I helped a lot of people avoid some of the situations? Yes, I have. So, but I think your question is the bigger one, which is how do you compartmentalize that? And I think, at least for me, and it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not Howard Schultz, but for me, it's like, I just think about life as this incredible journey that we're on. I think the analogy of, hey, the top of the mountain, I think it's a terrible analogy. Like you get to the top of the mountain and you figure out a few things. One, the view is great. Two, it's really lonely. Three, all the fun just happened on the way up. Yeah. Every trip, every fall, every connection, the people you made, the deals you did, yeah. like all that that rush of like, we can do this, the spree to core, like let's charge up the mountain, get to the top, you're like, eh, you know, let's go do it again. So I think it's like, if you want to use a mountain, say it's a mountain range, okay? Because that at least shows that we're going up and down. But think of it as like a, a journey. And your journey can be roller coaster, which mine is. Or it can be a nice, like, Polar Express train, you know. For me, it's a roller coaster of life. And I have, I have, I didn't love losing all my money. And I didn't love putting my family at risk. And I didn't love foreclosure. I, like, that's not what I'm saying. But, but what I appreciate, though, is like, I appreciate that journey. And I appreciate that experience. And I appreciate the learnings. And by the way, my wife, who's a total warrior, I mentioned her a couple of times, like she was like hiding the foreclosure notices. I was like, after we lost the company, I was firing a bunch of people. It was, it was not a good place. And she's like, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. In fact, a little Starbucks moment. Her girlfriend said to her, like, your husband's not even working. I tell my husband, go get a job at Starbucks. And my wife's like, Scott's not working at Starbucks, you know? But her girlfriend wasn't wrong either. She was like, you just you should go make money, you know? And my wife's like, he's not in a place right now to do that so we just need to batten down the hatches and figure it out so where you end up on that scale that's personal like you know again we're all a product of our experiences and people and i mean obviously we see you where you are in this moment yeah. but what did you wind up doing that turned it around yeah, yeah good question so i i was playing a lot of you know how do you have anything that like escape in the world for you like something that you know like you do something and it's like you're free is there anything in your life like that yeah tons so, of so mine's mine's pick up basketball i played this morning so i like that's my escape and so for as long as I will be able to walk, I will play because I walk in and I hear the ball bouncing. It's my escape from the world. And so I was playing basketball, trying to clear my head. 
she handed me a book. I had to go on a trip, like a wedding or something. She handed me a book called Leadership and Self-Deception. And I'm on the plane reading the book and I'm crying on the plane. You know, like the ugly cry? Like I'm just, and a poor person next to me, you know, I'm sure it's like, you okay? But there's a scene in the book where this guy is struggling with his son and he sends his son out to one of those Utah rehab facilities for kids. Like, hey, we'll shape up your kid. And he's going to pick his son up. And his son is coming down from the mountains, literally covered in dirt and scraggly hair and been there for like two months, like living off the land with a bunch of kids. And at that moment, he's looking at his son. He's like, holy crap, it's me, not him. So in other words, like, he's like, get the kid in the mountains. And that's why I started crying because, and I think I was emotional because like, I had every reason in the world why this, this business failed. You know, it was the dot-com bubble. We were ahead of our time, blah, 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 blah. It was everybody else's fault. If we had done this better, we were not. And so I'm reading this. I'm like, put it down. I come back from my trip, take my little daughter, little daughter, she's the one at the time, take her on this long walk, come back, sit to my wife, I'm ready to go. She's like, thank goodness. You know, you know, that day I made 200 phone calls to 200 people I knew. And in three weeks, I had three offers a job and I ended up taking the job at the NBA. Actually, great story if you want to hear it. This is so right good already. Yeah. Yeah. So our business was in competition with the NBA. So we had been threatened with some lawsuits from, from the commission, my, my later to be boss a few times. And so Adam Silver, who's the commissioner now had walked me in there through Seth Berger, this friend of mine who financed the business. So I sitting in front of David Stern, he's interviewing me like this. Can you imagine? So he's looking out the wall, asking me questions and they're not nice questions. This is like okay? a Seinfeld episode. It's, it's so, like, it's worse than that. It's like, yeah, how is this possible? <laughs> Why are you wasting my time with like those kind of questions? You know, Why would I trust you? You know, like that kind of like, you know, stuff like that. And he's like, what do you want to be a general manager? And I said, no, you know, I want to run a business. And, you know, I know that you're the commissioner. And I know you can help me do that and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, so he said, sends me down to see, see one of his, his lieutenants. I go down and see his lieutenant. And the lieutenant says like, hey, I have to hire you. So let's figure this out. You know, I was like, wow, that's great. So, you know, he says, come up tomorrow. Now, at that point, like coming up to New York was expensive. I know that sounds crazy, right? But like, I didn't have any money. And so I was taking like New Jersey Transit because it was $14 as opposed to air check, which was 50 Like. You can't even imagine, like, this is low dojo time. Like, this is like, uh-oh, like, scrape the, you know. So he's like, can you come out tomorrow? I'm like, sure. <laughs> so I, I come out the next day. Uh, we agree on a deal. Next day, he says, can you come back up? I was like, yes. So we come back up for lunch. I sit down for lunch, and he's like, hey, I'm going to have to walk back that deal. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I'm going to have to walk it back. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, it's whatever. It's going to have to be $50,000 less, whatever, whatever number was. Now I, I was like, I just literally get up from the table. I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing this. And I walk out. Okay. Now I don't have anything. I can barely get home. I have okay, so I go home. Can you imagine telling your husband if you do that? So I go home. I'm kind of like, my wife's like, how'd it go? I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. So the commissioner calls that night and it's a 914 area code, which is where I grew up. And so I think it's one of my clown high school friends. So I answer the phone, cello. He's like, this is David J. Stern. Who is this? I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> so I'm like 29 years old thinking I know everything, right? And I am scared. I'm like ghost white scared. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. scared. I thought, <laughs> I thought you were my friend. He's like, 
yeah, no, this is the commission of the NBA. I was like, and then he like was tearing into me about like me walking away. And I was like, hey, you retraded the deal, you know? And so, and anyway, anyway, ended up giving me the deal and I ended up starting a week later. Pretty wild time. That is the best story. Oh, I am, so we are all riveted. You're so awesome, Scott. You're really so awesome. I mean, I feel like it's just amazing because as successful and knowledgeable and brilliant as you are, you're so oozing in humility that it's like, it's like something we've never seen. It's like something that you like look at, like at a museum and go, look, a person can be like this and like this. And you're just like, wow, that's so cool to be a, to just be witness to it. So I loved connecting with you. I'm blown away. Tell everybody where they can follow you. Buy the book and be a part of this. Scott O'Neill, Twitter, at Scott O'Neill. Follow me. I would love to have you as a follower. Buy Be Where Your Feet Are. Read it and send me a note. I'd love to see what you think. We will. We're going to send the link to everybody. This was the best. You're so cool. Oh, my God. I'm rooting for you always. Thank you. Thanks for the time. You're the best. Wow. So powerful. Here are the takeaways. Number one, gratitude is the fuel of our lives. Number two, the world will send you the people who need to hear from you. Number three, be where you are. Number four, API, assume positive intent. Go into life with compassion, empathy, and love. Number five, successful people work unreasonably hard, are intellectually curious, and are extraordinary teammates. Number six, there's abundance in the world. Number seven, put life back on the horizon a little bit. Not everything will be given to you today. And number eight, life is an incredible journey that we're on. All the fun happens on the way up. All right, now we're going to celebrate some wins for my alumni. So Sloan said, six episodes into Undetoured, navigating the artist journey, and I have over 350 downloads, guests telling me that they felt so comfortable to be holding space with me, and listeners brought to tears. I've gotten to interview voice actors on camera actors, and most recently, the assistant director for Spider-Man, No Way Home. And there's lots of interest in my movement to get 500 people all over the world to do Qigong with me on the last Sunday of every month to usher in the new month and reflect on the past month. Also, I've had my best month in sales ever after revisiting the 5K Abundance class over 5K in the last 30 days. Sloan, this is so cool. I love that you're making that space for people to share their story. That's so truly what we're seeking and you're such a gift at providing it. And oh my goodness, $5,000 in 30 days. That's incredible. I can't wait to see what else is coming for you. All right, so go listen to Sloan's podcast. It's called The Undetoured, Navigating the Artist Journey. All right, here's the next win. Giselle said, super duper grateful for this program. As a coach, I never created the podcast, The Intuitive Pull to get clients. I created it because it was an intuitive pull to do so, another form in which I could express the joy. Prior to this, writing was my medium and writing posts and referrals is how people came to me. I was excited to use my voice, ironic, as I had a belief that I'm not a good communicator. I was open to receiving clients for sure, but it was never a strategy created for that reason, if you know what I mean. And guess what happened? One new client started a few days before Christmas. When she reached out to me, I invited her to listen to some episodes before we spoke. She said, I did. I've been following you for a few years and I listened to the episodes and that's why I know it's time to work with you now. Another former client signed up for another round of coaching today. She asked if I could bill her for the $10,500 upfront instead of paying it in the three monthly installments. I had another person sign the ex-wife of a former client. She wrote to me after listening to my podcast and told me how much it touched her. Then she wrote to me again, asking if we could speak about coaching or go to coach for one year. And as I was recording another episode, a message popped up by someone I know. I didn't read it until after I edited the episode. He told me that he'd been listening to the episodes and some of them several times. And so I recorded a postscript saying, if this isn't real-time proof that following the intuitive pull leads to overflow, I don't know what is. I had a convo with him and he starts next week. 
Thank you, Kathy and all her team. And thank you all the incredible peers I've met along the way. I released the podcast on November 29th. And in less than three months, there have been 1,121 downloads. I have so much energy and aliveness as a result of following the intuitive pull to do the training and committing to creating a podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my goodness, Giselle. I am so, so proud of you. It's amazing what happens when you trust your intuition. I love that you went into podcasting without any agenda except to share your voice, but you allowed yourself to be visible. It was only natural then that all those clients would come flooding in. Way to go. And I'm so excited for all the magic that is yet to come. Let's all give Giselle some love. Check out her podcast. It's called The Intuitive Pull. Thank you for taking time out of your very, very busy life to listen to the show. I know that you have so much going on and I do not ever take it for granted. We have so many cool guests coming up. Ben Rector is going to be here next week, plus another one of my favorite singer-songwriters, Andy Grammer, is coming on soon. So definitely please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow wherever it is that you listen. And by the way, if you want to watch any of these interviews that I've done on video, you could always go to our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash Kathy Heller. And you can see me talking to Priyanka Chopra or Matthew McConaughey or the Property Brothers or Seth Godin. It's so cool. If you feel like watching, they're all on YouTube and It would mean so much to me if you shared this podcast, if you posted about it, if you emailed a friend, if you leave a review, all of those things help us so much more than you know. And if you do go ahead and post about the podcast in your feed and you tag a couple friends that you think might be interested, sometimes you can do like a follow Friday. And if you feel like being like, hey, follow Friday, follow Kathy, listen to her podcast, if you do that, Not only am I going to send you a Starbucks gift card, but I'm also going to send you a bundle of gifts just to say thank you because that would mean so much to me. So if you want to just post about the podcast in your Instagram feed and just send a screenshot, you can also tag me so I can see it either way and uh, just tell people follow the podcast, tell them to follow me on Instagram, tell them that this is great content. If you do so, I'm going to DM you and ask you for your address so I can send you a bundle of gifts. I love you so much. I'll leave you with a song. Have an awesome weekend.